going to help you change the future. Welcome to Arnie Geddon. I'm Cam Smith. And I'm Tony G. And we're here this time to face down a dark fate, Tony. A fate so dark that it's taken five adventures just to get to this dark fate. And one long intro, Cam. That's right. So we are here to take on the sixth Terminator movie, Terminator Dark Fate. Tony, this is the first new Arnold blockbuster we've covered since the dawn of this podcast. Yeah, that's true, unless you count uh, Wonders of the Sea 3D. <laughs> and I do. <laughs> Which had a somewhat limited theatrical release. <laughs> it, it was screened on the wall of the back of the theater. <laughs> <laughs> that's right, we had to pull up a couple uh, old trash cans. <laughs> that's right. But the popcorn was a hell of a deal. <laughs> but, um, so what we're going to do is, we're going to get into Dark Fate. If you haven't seen the movie... Go out and see it, because we are going to delve into the entire movie. It's all spoiler town, baby, yeah. because there's a lot to talk about with this movie. I mean, this is six films into the franchise, and they're making choices, and we get to talk about now the choices they made, whether they worked, whether they didn't, and all that sort of stuff, and the ramifications for the franchise, you know, continuing on. Yeah, although I guess this is a podcast, so if you're listening to this uh, months down the road... Um... Go download it or stream it, I guess. Sure. You don't have to see it in the theater. Right. So I want to know, Tony, how excited were you for Terminator Dark Fate in advance of the movie? I was super excited about it. This is probably the most excited I've been uh, to watch a movie on this podcast, Cam. <laughs> what about in terms of Terminator movies? How did your hype level rank in comparison to at least probably Terminator 3? Well, it's hard to say, actually, because... Uh, we just finished up Genesis last week, and that was the open secret on this podcast for a long time, that I was saving myself for Terminator Genesis. So I didn't actually get a chance to see Terminator 5 until, uh, a, what, a week or two ago? Yeah. And so I didn't really have anything to compare it to except for the first four movies, but I was looking forward to this movie big time, and I was following its development, I, I kept googling Dark Fate every right. day, uh, seeing what was happening with it. And uh, happy to go see it. Right. How about you? I think for me, um, the hype was... Uh, it never totally won me over in the marketing. But um, I would say I was more excited for it than I was for Genesis. Maybe even Terminator 3. Um, but I do remember I was incredibly excited to see Terminator Salvation because the trailers were so great. So right. I would say in terms of the marketing hook, Salvation holds the title of the post-T2 Terminator movies, at least for me, to the best of my memory. Now, Terminator 2, we were, of course, too young to really be on the hype train for that one, but that must have been a train we missed, huh? Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> train has left the station. <laughs> That's right. So, we obviously don't have box office for this movie, as it just opened a couple days ago. I think we're recording this the day after opening night. Yes, but uh, we should say the movie's tracking right now to open to about $27 million dollars for an opening weekend, which is 
not good, so this may be the last Terminator movie we cover for a while, although I never like to say never when it comes to the Terminator franchise. Well, we'll see. I mean, it's been out for two days when at the time of our recording, so let's give it a chance. Sure, sure, but we should say, you know, let's look at the past Terminator movies in their opening weekends, because we often compare box office. We don't have the full picture, but we can compare opening weekends. So back in 1984, Terminator 1 comes out. It opens to $4 million, which, you know, small release, not surprising. Terminator 2 comes out in 91, $32 million opening. Uh, Terminator 3 comes out, $44 million opening. Terminator Salvation, $43 million opening. Terminator Genesis, $27 million. And now this one's looking to do 27 as well. And Genesis tapped out at $90 million domestic. Yeah, which isn't great, although it made a lot of that money back worldwide. Right, which that is where Dark Fate's lagging at the moment. So we will see the bigger picture. It'll be interesting to have some context later down the road, but not a great start for a Terminator movie, and I don't think that has anything to do with the movie. I think that has a lot to do with the baggage of the franchise. Yeah, we've talked about that a little bit on some of our previous episodes, uh, in particular Terminator 3, uh, Salvation, and then more recently Genesis, which is a lot of these movies, I mean, people hate these movies. People, uh, in, in the minds of some people, these are one-star films, zero-star films, unwatchable films. Uh, especially, well, I won't say especially any one of them. I thought Terminator 3 was actually kind of well-regarded, but turns out people hate that one too. Right, yeah. And I think a big part of that has to do with the fact that it's got the baggage of T1 and T2 mm-hmm. weighing them down. Where I think if you were to uh, make these, even if they were Schwarzenegger movies, if you were to make these non-Terminator movies, or if these were just summer release action movies, I don't think people would hate them as much as they do. That's possible, but I think when you are coming off of a classic franchise, there are expectations in place, and if you don't meet them, I don't think it's necessarily unfair for the filmmakers to have that kind of poor reaction to them. I don't feel that strongly against the Terminator sequels either. Like, I actually, other than Genesis, I've liked all of them for the most part. I mean, I was iffy on Salvation. I like bits and pieces of it, but I can kind of admire what it's going for, but like... You know, when you hold it up against the first two Terminators, it's it's kind of a bit of a pale shadow. Yeah, it's got the Andy Garcia effect from Godfather 3. Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, let's get into this movie. Tony, what is this movie about? Uh, the capital S, spoiler, capital A, alert. Well, it picks up uh, right after Terminator 2. It is soundly ignoring T3, Salvation, and Genesis. And we've got... Uh, Linda Hamilton, sans John Connor, who is assisting a, a new Terminator target uh, in basically escaping. It's basically a long chase movie with, uh, lo and behold, big surprise here, an enhanced Terminator. And along the way, they get the assistance of, big surprise here, uh, a human warrior from the future, played by Mackenzie Davis. Except in this case, she's been cybernetically enhanced herself. Somewhat like uh, Sam Worthington in Terminator Salvation. Yeah, but with a better sense of humor. <laughs> That's not hard. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, you know, what do you make of this new Terminator villain? Of course, we have the Rev-9 now coming after the TX and the T-1000. What is the Rev-9's big thing? The Rev-9 has some version of the Terminator endoskeleton that we've all come to know and love, but over top of that is... Mimetic polyalloy, I think they call it in the franchise. Sure. Uh, which can separate. And so you basically have uh, a T-1000 and a T-800 
that split apart here and there and fight sometimes as one guy, sometimes as two guys. Yeah, and that's played by Gabriel Luna, who's... With some assistance from computer-generated effects. Of course, yeah. Gabriel Luna, probably unknown to most, but he played Ghost Rider in uh, Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., and he was actually pretty good on that show, and they were going to do a spin-off with his character. I have to believe that job probably got him this particular job. I mean, he he takes the mantle of the killer robot pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, it's a long pedigree of that uh, particular gig. But Tony, what did you think of Dark Fate? You know, I enjoyed it, Cam. I uh, I think the, the reviews that are out there right now are, uh, you know, definitely the third best of the series. I don't know what kind of a review that is. It's a little bit of a wishy-washy review, and I think in some ways unfair to the previous sequels. But I'm I'm probably somewhere in there too. It's definitely not the Terminator, and it's not Terminator Two: Judgment Day. But uh, it was a thoroughly enjoyable film to go watch in the theater on the big screen. Okay. Um. Yeah. Like I enjoyed this movie. Um. But like it does the Terminator story that we've all seen a lot, <laughs> repeated over and over again. Right. Um. Fairly efficiently. I like the new cast. Like, I thought Mackenzie Davis was actually really strong in this movie. What did you think of the old cast coming back? They were really great, too, and offered a lot as well. Like, I think the infusion of sort of some new cast members, some new locations, did a lot for a formula that has gotten pretty well-worn at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought there was enough fun ideas to make it feel a little more novel than maybe, like... You know, like Terminator Genesis had some new ideas, but it also felt really tired. Uh, this one feels a little more lively. It has some, you know, a little bit of edge to it. Um, the characters pop a little bit more. But there's something about this franchise, and this one is a really good underline on it, and that this was a franchise that always like seemed to chase the extraordinary. And that's what James Cameron tried to do. And I feel like these last few are very much like trying to just be the ordinary blockbusters. They don't feel exceptional in any way. It doesn't feel like it's trying to really push boundaries. It just feels like, let's just make a good Terminator movie. Not a great one, just a good one. And it is, it's a, it's a good Terminator movie, I guess. But I, I kind of, I guess, maybe have maybe some of the issues, you know, you were underlining at the top where, I don't know, like, the first two are so great that if you someone were to ask me, do I need to see Terminator um, Dark Fate? I'd say, no. You know, if you've seen the first two, you've seen the good ones. But this one's pretty fun, too, if you have time. So, <laughs> like, that's the kind of the way I feel. Like, I didn't... That's, that's not exactly a glowing recommendation. It's not a glowing recommendation at all. Like, to me, it's just... It's a totally middle-of-the-road blockbuster that I enjoyed watching. But it's definitely not an infusion of life into this franchise. Well, and in some ways, it takes uh, some of the life in the franchise away, doesn't it? It does for sure, yes. This is probably the biggest spoiler, although it's I think it's probably all over the internet by now. This movie opens with Sarah Connor, like we said, picks up where she left off in Terminator 2, and her and John have averted Judgment Day, and they're just living the Vita Loca down in Guatemala. Right. Before... Who should come in but a de-aged Arnold Schwarzenegger? How many times has he been de-aged at this point? <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's getting up there. Oh, we should say, say Linda Hamilton has been de-aged as well. And Edward Furlong makes a brief appearance as John Connor reference. 
And it looked pretty good. I gotta say, I've seen de-aging in a bunch of movies. We debated when the movie was over, you know, about good versus bad. And the Marvel movies tend to do it really well. Um, the Pirates of the Caribbean franchise did it really badly. This one's good, though. I thought Linda Hamilton in particular looked pretty great. Yeah. The she, de-aged version. Yeah, she did. I, I couldn't even tell the difference. No. Um, the Arnold still... I don't know what it is about Arnold's facial structure, but it seems like they struggle to de-age him in a way. And I don't know what it is, because it's not exclusive to this movie. It applied as well to Genesis, as well as Salvation. Mm -hmm. It's like, it's close. You look at it and you're like, yep, that's the T-800. But there's something a little bit missing, and I don't know what it is. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean, but uh, who knows? Maybe they'll get it in Terminator 7. (laughs) <laughs> maybe, maybe. But what did you think of this off the bat, this wiping John Connor off the board, where he is killed by the Terminator, and boom, like, you know, where do we go from here? I have kind of mixed feelings about it, because one of the things that we've talked about previously on this podcast and our other Terminator movies is just how thankless a job John Connor is to, yeah. to act, where he's pretty much got this role, if you're an actor, you're coming in, you're just like a tortured soul who's got to lead a bunch of other tortured souls against a bunch of machines. And right. uh, tough to bring a lot to it except crankiness. Right. I mean, obviously, John Connor's been central to the Terminator plot since it was released in 1984. You think about just seeing him on screen for the first time in Terminator 2 mm-hmm. in that silent role with the scar on his cheek that they've worked into to other sequels and how important... John Connor was, especially to Terminator 1 and Terminator 2. And then they just go ahead and they they kill him. I get what they're doing. They're wiping the sl- slate clean. They want to move away from the tired old John Connor thing. Which we've done now like three other times. Yeah, but it does kind of take a little bit away from, I think, the first movie and, and the second movie. In terms of what they were fighting for in those movies. Especially the second one. Because it's all about this bond between, you know, uh, Linda Hamilton's character, Sarah, and John Connor. And you're really getting kind of pulled into this family dynamic. You're greatly invested in those two characters connecting and heading off at the end. And then it's just like, oh, and by the way, (laughs) it's kind of like Hicks in uh, Aliens. Mm -hmm. You know, when uh, Hicks and Newt make it out of there at the end of Aliens, you're like, hell yes. And then you cut to Alien 3 and it's like, oh, they're dead, by the way. (laughs) And you're like, oh. Oh, well, that kind of sucks. Yeah, well, it does, and it, it is an impactful scene. It is. Um, although... Yeah, this is impactful, unlike the Alien 3 one, I should say. Like, the Alien 3 one really is lame. Whereas this, I felt like it was actually staged in a way that it actually worked for me because there was something very mundane about it. We always think of Terminator, like evil Terminator attacks, as happening at the end of these long, you know, over-the-top chases and all that sort of thing. It's so, like, run-of-the-mill. It's just the Terminator walking up on them while they're on vacation, basically, and just unloading a shotgun on them. Mm-hmm. And it has a certain shock value for that. And I love... This is the first time, I think, we've seen a Terminator actually execute its prey, and then just, like, mission's over, it just walks away. Yeah, I mean, it's always tough, because it's not like Ed Furlong's character here. <laughs> I shouldn't call it Ed Furlong's character at this It's sort point. of an amalgamation, because he was a reference, but there was a different voice, yeah. and yeah. Yeah, it's not like John Connor here is is an old character. So we're basically watching a, uh, a boy get gunned down right. on the screen, which I think kind of sets the tone for the movie. So uh, 
I mean, I just watched this movie yesterday. I'm not quite sure yet how I feel about uh, John Connor being killed, if that was necessary, but it was certainly impactful and it certainly drove this movie forward. I was okay with it because I think ultimately the concept of Judgment Day and Skynet is proven to be in this film. Like, they did not happen after the success of the efforts of the characters in Terminator 2. So there was an impact that they made on the future. It wasn't just like Sarah and John took off you know, John Connor's killed in the past, but, uh, oh, well, Skynet's up to it again. You know, like, it, there is a sense that they did accomplish something. Whereas in the previous Terminator sequels, it was always like Skynet just kept coming back. Well, Skynet, well. <laughs> Skynet by a different name. So, right. So in this case, they do establish John and, and Sarah, they were successful. Uh, you know, Miles Dyson's uh, sacrifice was not in vain. They did avert Judgment Day, and... Uh, by doing so, saved three billion lives and and stopped Skynet from ever existing. Right. Unfortunately, uh oh, uh oh, uh, a much worse uh, machine apocalypse occurred in Genesis. A... <laughs> Not yeah. Well, that was that was a travesty that will never be spoke of by man again. <laughs> no, a much a much worse apocalypse occurred. I, I forget what the number they threw out there in the movie was. It was like 7 billion or something like that. Right. So by preventing Judgment Day, they actually caused a much worse Judgment Day. Not by Skynet, <laughs> but by Legion. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Yeah, it's... <laughs> How is Legion differentiated from Skynet, Cam? Well, from what I can tell, they're very similar. Um, although their soldiers appear to be robotic octopus men that bear a vague resemblance to the uh, alien creatures in Edge of Tomorrow, also known as Live, Die, Repeat. Yes. Other than that, they're not too different. Like, they have the liquid metal thing going. They uh, seem a lot faster than standard Terminators that we've seen in the past. I, I do think it's interesting that uh, Skynet never happened, Judgment Day never happened... But we've got uh, a new AI that is taking over the world and is creating machines that look exactly the same for the yeah. most part as what Skynet created and has exactly the same goals that Skynet has. Yeah, you would think it would be something a little more futuristic because, I mean, the original endoskeleton design is very much of the sci-fi futures created from the 1980s mindset. Like, I would have been curious to see what Legion would come up with from a 2019 <laughs> point of view imagination. Well, we know. It's got an endoskeleton uh, over top of which is a mimetic polyalloy. Which, by the way, was also created by Skynet, which never occurred in this timeline. So, uh, I mean, there's enough... Like any time travel movie, there's enough plot holes here to drive a Harrier jet through. Sure. Uh Although not as bad as Genesis. No, no, no. I actually thought probably, this one held together okay. Probably due to fewer timelines. Sure. So we're introduced off the, you know, shortly after to this new character. Uh, Mackenzie Davis plays her name Grace, who's showing up. And she's landing in Mexico where she is to protect this character, Danny. What did you think of this human, uh, like, savior character showing up versus, you know, we've had Arnold for a couple Terminator sequels in a row sort of thing going what did you think of Mackenzie Davis's Grace? I thought she was great. I yeah. thought the, I thought both the character of Grace and Mackenzie Davis as an actress playing her, I thought they were both awesome. Yeah, I thought she was a real highlight for me in that uh, I really liked how her character 
I mean, she's a badass who can fight like crazy. Like she's incredibly competent in all the action stuff, and it definitely a good match opposite the Rev Nine. But also, I like that she was incredibly like uncertain and a little bit uh, like clumsy in terms of how to operate in our society at in time. Like she felt like a character who had some flaws and could also be like a character that has to struggle a bit in the in sort of protecting Danny. Whereas in the last couple, the Arnold character has known everything. He's been an exposition bot who can always, you know, provide the answer to every situation. I liked that this character of Grace didn't really have that going for her and could be wrong. Yeah, I liked how they even embodied that physically, where they established that she's designed basically for short bursts of activity. Because if you can't beat a Terminator in the first two minutes, then uh, you're dead, basically. Mm -hmm. So... That if, if she does have to undertake any kind of protracted physical activity or combat or anything like that, that uh, she gets extremely weak and has to inject herself with uh, some kind of pharmaceutical cocktail. Yeah, what did you think of working that into the plot where there would be points where the character was taken out of commission? Did it feel like a uh, kind of a dramatic crutch, you know, kind of like Spider-Man running out of web fluid? Or did it work for you? Like, did it work in terms of it popping up throughout the movie? Maybe I'm just a sucker. I actually don't mind it when Spider-Man runs out of web fluid. It can be fun. Yeah, and I thought it was fun here. I, I didn't think it dragged the movie down at all. No, I actually thought they got some good scenes out of it. Like, there's a bit where she has to go into a medical clinic and try and get medication. Like, I thought that scene really worked. I liked that this character had weaknesses because... To me, like, that's been kind of a problem with some of the other Terminator sequels, maybe, is that, again, Arnold was the protector, and he didn't really have weaknesses. You knew that that character was always just going to take a battering, but was going to get up, probably in the finale, after being grievously wounded, pro and save the day. Probably lose an arm along the way. Sure. And I think it was a good idea to bring in the Linda Hamilton character here, with Sarah Connor, and have her working with the Mackenzie Davis character, because you don't quite know if both characters are going to make it to the end. So it helps raise the tension a little bit because you don't know what could happen. For sure. And what I'll say on that point too is Linda Hamilton was great in this movie too. I mean, she's definitely uh, maybe a little older, a little wiser. Aren't we all? <laughs> but she's, uh, she's still as badass as she's always been. Yeah, like I think, you know, Linda Hamilton had has said like, she was not interested in reprising the character in the past, but she really did feel like the extra years between Terminator 2 and this movie allowed her to play the character in a whole different way that was much more interesting. And I totally think it's visible on screen. Like, I think Sarah Connor, when she shows up in this movie, she just seems incredibly tough and capable. She's the Sarah Connor we know. But you can see that, like, she's carrying, like, the battle wounds of all these years of constantly fighting the future, and I totally bought it in the character. Well, I, I think her line of, uh, I kill Terminators and I drink until I black out. Great. <laughs> like, this is how you do the legacy character thing, and this is totally a craze right now in Hollywood, is to do these movies that are almost a little bit like remakes of, you know, the original film, but bringing in legacy characters. Um, the Halloween franchise did it recently with Jamie Lee Curtis, and I thought yep. they used her incredibly well there. And Linda Hamilton, the way they use her in this movie, feels a little similar to the Jamie Lee Curtis in Halloween. Well, they did the same thing here, pretty much, that they did in the Halloween movies, right? Where they just pretty much ignored the yeah. <laughs> the middle 20 movies or however many yeah, there yeah. were. And it worked here for that. Yeah, it totally did. And um, 
like both Mackenzie Davis and Linda Hamilton on their own, their characters are pretty threatening and you they're believable in the idea that they could take on a Terminator, even one as uh, deadly as the Rev-9. Yeah. And then you have a big part of this movie, which is uh, her these two saviors basically yeah. arguing o- over what to do next. I actually really like that aspect of the movie and that like Mackenzie Davis cannot stand the Linda Hamilton character. Like the, she's constantly saying, I just want to like beat the crap out of you. I like that these two have very different approaches as to how to save this character uh, of, of Danny. Like to me, that is interesting. And I think the movie when it's really, you know, firing on all cylinders, that's the stuff that really works for me is the character based stuff. You know, it would be very easy for the Grace character to just be completely shuffled to the back when you bring in, you know, you got Schwarzenegger, you got Hamilton. It would Mm -hmm. be very easy to push these new characters back because, well, we know the audiences care more about, you know, the legacy characters. But I really think they gave Grace a lot to do that made her interesting, that made her feel different than Reese, for example, or the revised versions of Sarah Connor and and, uh, Kyle Reese in Genesis. Or even like the um, Marcus character in Salvation. Like it felt like an entirely new character in the franchise and really interesting. I would have honestly been, I think, happy with a Terminator movie where Grace was just one of the lead characters and you didn't even have the legacy characters. Yeah, I mean, that's where I thought they were going, actually. Uh, Like they've done in some of these handoff movies. I thought that's what this movie was going to be. It was going to be Schwarzenegger and Linda Hamilton passing the torch on to Mackenzie Davis and Natalia Reyes. Right, which is only half true. (laughs) (laughs) But you bring up Reyes. What did you think of this new John Connor character, Danny Ramos? I mean, she's pretty much John Connor. Yes. Uh, I mean, there is... I, I did like how they played off a little bit with Sarah Connor sees a lot of herself in Danny Ramos and thinks that... Legion, uh, open parentheses, Skynet, close parentheses. What about Genesis? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just right. Genesis, Legion, yeah. Skynet, whatever it is this time around, uh, is trying to kill her because she's going to give birth to the savior of the future. Mm-hmm. And then she finds out that's not the case. She actually is the leader of the resistance in the future. Yeah, I but, thought that was interesting. Yeah, so I like that switch. I mean, that was a little nice little moment in the movie of an, an epiphany for Sarah Connor's character. But I thought that Danny Ramos herself, I mean, except for being uh, a woman from Mexico City, mm-hmm. which I actually think is a nice touch to move characterization and move location. Yeah, because if you're going to have a savior of humanity, they could come from anywhere. Like, I think it was a good idea to move it somewhere else. It just makes it more interesting. As I said off the top, like, I really like the shift in locale. I thought all the Mexico stuff really did work and give the movie a different feel than the other Terminator movies. Yeah. But all that being said, there really isn't that big a difference between Danny Ramos and John Connor. There's the same kind of uncertainty. There's uh, the realization that... You've got to stop running and turn and fight. You know, you're reluctant uh, team up with either a future soldier or a Terminator or both. Yeah. And you think about if you could just put this movie back in time, uh, 15 or 20 years. Or and... are you proposing another spinoff? <laughs> no, I'm not. But you just think about you could have Ed- Edward Furlong or 
whoever is playing John Connor at the time, just playing this character. Right. Uh, with almost exactly the same script, and it would be believable as John Connor. But it's also very much like Sarah Connor in the first Terminator as well. Uh, the one thing I noticed, though, was the uh, portrayal of Sarah Connor in the first Terminator, all this stuff where you're building her up as a character, she feels like a very authentic, human, relatable character in a lot of ways. Whereas, like, I felt like Danny, the way the movie presented her, she felt very movie-like. It felt like a movie character, whereas Sarah Connor felt a little raw. And I think that just has to do with the difference between the way um, James Cameron shoots a movie versus... You know, a $185 million blockbuster shot by the director of Deadpool. Like, to me, the Danny stuff was pretty broad strokes setting her up. Where, you know, she works in a factory where they're bringing in robots to replace the workers. And, you know, she's got a brother and a father. And that's about it. Like, the characterization is very, very thin off the bat. Whereas I felt like Sarah in the original Terminator and even John were set up better. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Although, if you go and you look at, say, Sarah Connor from Genesis. Sure. Right? Oh, uh, well, yeah. I mean, because that, that was one of our complaints about Genesis that I think we agreed on was that the Sarah Connor in Genesis, no knock to Amelia Clark, I think we talked about that. She did a fine job. But her character was movie gloss. Yes. Whereas I didn't find that with Danny Ramos. I thought she was a believable character. Uh, but definitely, I know what you mean. It's got, d doesn't have that same rawness that Linda Hamilton did in the first Terminator. Yeah, it doesn't feel like that sort of synthetic movie character the way that uh, Reese and Sarah Connor did in Genesis. But it feels a little more just like broad strokes blockbuster filmmaking, like modern blockbuster filmmaking, than what James Cameron likes to do with his characters and his movies. Sure, but I mean, they did sacrifice uh, her brother... Uh, played by Diego Bonita and her father uh, to a lesser extent. He was only on screen for yeah, a couple, <laughs> couple seconds, seconds, basically. Uh, in order to move her character forward a little bit. True, but did you get the sense of horror out of those losses that you did with, like, Sarah Connor in the original? Or even, like, the uh, step-parents in Terminator 2? I think I did, actually. Did you? Okay. Now, now that you mention it, like... Certainly that scene on the freeway after her brother has been impaled by a, a big piece of rebar and then uh, explodes in a conflagration of truck parts and, sure. <laughs> and molten metal. Uh, she certainly seemed like she was upset uh, and it was a pretty horrific scene. It is, but like, it has that kind of that overkill thing that I'm not a big fan of. I like that the character definitely deals with it after the fact. I think that stuff is effective. But it reminds me of... Do you want underkill in a Terminator well, movie? Well, I'll tell you, like, this reminded me a little bit of, like, okay, so, like, have you ever seen... I'm sure you have the Christopher Reeve original Superman. For sure. Yes, where you have his father, or his stepfather, has, like, a heart attack and dies. And it's a really sad, tough scene to watch. Mm -hmm. And then we go to Man of Steel many years later, and, like, Pa Kent is, like, sucked into a tornado, and it's, like, ridiculous. It's, like, just, like, so over the top. To me, like, there's something much more, like, haunting about the scenes where the Terminators invade the, you know, their target's lives in the, in the James Cameron ones, where I feel like he understood the horror of the situation in a way that, like, here it's, like, it's over the top, it's huge, it's explosive, it's a big CG-heavy exploding vehicle, chaos all over the screen. Like, it feels big for the sake of being big. 
which is okay because I didn't want small. I, I wanted, <laughs> Fair enough. I wanted big. I didn't. I didn't go to but Terminator Dark Fate thinking like, oh, I hope. I hope the explosions are a little smaller in this one. It's just to me like it has no, zero emotional impact on me. Like the uh, the T one thousand killing those step parents has lingered in my brain for all the years since I've seen that movie. That's because you saw that as a child. Fine, <laughs> but nonetheless, <laughs> there was a horror. Like I feel like the horror element of the Terminator franchise is gone. I don't think this movie has it at all. <laughs> I would agree with that. And we've talked about that before, right? Where the Terminator is really like a sci-fi horror or a sci-fi suspense film. Yeah. More than anything else. Probably more than it is an action film. Yeah. And then Terminator 2 uh, is definitely a blockbuster action film, but does retain some of those uh, some of those horror moments and some of those suspense moments. And then you get into the later ones like T3, yeah. uh, which goes a little bit more slapstick, which is, I think, why a lot of people didn't like it. Yeah, I do feel like in many ways Terminator 2 was like the best and the worst thing to ever happen to the franchise. The best in that, I mean, it was a mega, mega hit. It, you know, catapulted Arnold. I mean, he was already high up, but it made him just like the biggest icon of icons at that time. Right. And James Cameron, it was like a massive deal for him and, you know, led him to where, you know, all these successes he's had since. But like, I feel like for the franchise, they've been just chasing Terminator 2 from that point forward. Whereas like, I kind of wish we'd... I don't know, like, as I sat through this one, I'm like, I'm watching basically Terminator 2 again. I appreciated what um, Salvation was trying to do, and it was trying to tell a different type of Terminator story. Mm -hmm. I would have thought for a movie that had five story credits (laughs) and three writers writing the screenplay, you would have this vision of where this franchise should be going. Because James Cameron did produce Terminator uh, Dark Fate. I would have thought that they would have some really novel ideas, and... I was kind of shocked that it didn't really seem like there were any, or even an attempt to tackle a new type of genre. Yeah, some of the some of what I read was that uh, James Cameron, a big part of his input was less about the story itself and more about uh, some of the action set pieces that he'd wanted to work into other movies for quite some time, and then working with Tim Miller uh, about fitting those set pieces into this movie and, and and obviously i'm sure he had a lot of input on characterization and story and everything like that as well but um that that was my understanding was right that, was that he was mostly hands-off during filming uh he was i think he was working on one of the avatar sequels probably yeah and and tim miller once he once the story was done uh, he pretty much was able to do what he wanted although james cameron it. has been fairly vocal on the press tour about him and Tim Miller fought a lot in the editing room because James Cameron had a very significant presence in the editing room and right, it yes, was uh, very tense and James Cameron said that Tim Miller wanted to make it his movie and James Cameron felt he understood the Terminator world better and so but I but all that said I would hard I, to imagine James Cameron as a control freak <laughs> I know right but all that said I don't feel like the final movie feels like you know the too many cooks in the kitchen it doesn't it doesn't feel like a mess in that way in that the way some other blockbusters do that you can tell they've been interfered with a lot something like say batman v superman or something right or justice league which i think actually david uh, goyer uh might have had his hand in as yeah well. david goyer one of the many writers on this movie uh yeah he wrote man of steel he wrote batman v superman yeah yeah so i think that you're right though i think that salvation it does a good job of distancing itself from some of the earlier 
things that have plagued the other sequels, but it still got the Terminator 2 albatross around its neck. It, yeah. it, it would be impossible, uh, I bet, to find a review that does not compare this movie to Terminator 2 Judgment Day. So was it like uh, almost like a no-win scenario to make a movie like this that is so closely modeled on the template of Terminator 2 again? I'm not sure. I th I'm pretty sure that the studios consider uh, wins and no wins differently than you and I can. Sure. I, I think they, they... I mean creatively. Um, not not monetarily. Not monetarily. <laughs> I'm not sure. I, th I think that... I think that for something like this, for something as well established as a Terminator franchise, you you've got to have a certain level of familiarity. Mm -hmm. um, but you've also got to break away from what hasn't worked and what people haven't liked in the previous movies. And I think this movie's got a, actually got a pretty good balance there. And I th think one thing this movie did that I really did appreciate was it moved away from the, some of the really heavy fan service stuff that we got in Genesis and Terminator Three which they just kept going to the classic lines and replaying a lot of the famous moments. This one subdued that stuff a bit. There was two variations on the I'll be back. I would have gotten rid of one of them at least. Um, but short of that... Which one? Uh, the first one, the Linda Hamilton one. I would have gotten rid of that in a heartbeat. <laughs> I think it was actually kind of lame. Yeah, I'm pretty sure the only reason she said that was so that they could put it in the trailer. It felt like it. But, you know, the other one where Arnold says, I won't be back. I actually thought that was pretty neat. It works because it was grounded in character and it had some emotion behind it. So, like, it worked. It didn't feel like it's just a tossed off catchphrase. Um, and I like that Arnold didn't have a big catchphrase in this movie. Well, and well, here we are. I mean, we've talked about Linda Hamilton and Natalia Reyes and Mackenzie Davis. But this is an Arnie Geddon podcast. So... I think we should probably get into it, Cam. What did you think about Arnold Schwarzenegger as the T-800 who's now a, a drapery hanger named Carl? Loved him. Like, I was a little concerned because I was enjoying the ride I was on with um, Sarah Connor and Grace. And I was worried, and you know, I leave Danny aside, but that character is often in the backseat until she kind of gets some... A little bit of moxie as the movie goes along and finds her inner strength. But I was concerned that because I was enjoying the dynamic of those two characters so much, that Arnold was going to come in and almost push the Grace character into the background a bit. Because once again, you've got the reunion of Sarah Connor and the T-800. Mm -hmm. Of course, you're going to, at that point, push the newer ones to the back. It's just, you know, it's the sort of thing that a studio would naturally do. Grace, go get me a coffee. Basically, yes. But I very much appreciate that they didn't do that. But also that Arnold had an entirely new angle on the character given to him in this movie. His character, Carl, is the T-800 who's killed John Connor some years in the past. And has spent, you know, the many years becoming a family man. And helping both Grace and Sarah Connor track Terminators. <laughs> Yeah, it's kind of funny, because in our Genesis episode, one of the things we talked about, there was a throwaway line by the T-800 Pops in that one uh, about how he had worked construction yeah. on on building the Skynet or the Genesis headquarters until he was laid off. And and we talked about how we would actually like to see a spinoff of you know the Terminator uh, having to go home to his family with his pink slip. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, the Terminator, you know, making his lunch for the next day. And just, you know, what is the home life of the Terminator all about? And we had a good laugh about it. Yeah. And then here it is, and it actually kind of works, doesn't it? I thought it was great because they actually gave an emotional arc to the T-800 that we haven't seen really that happen since Terminator 2. I mean, he shows up in T3, but I don't think there's much of an emotional arc to that character. There was a little bit of one in Genesis. Um, a little bit. Yeah, you know what? Pops, you know, to be fair, you are right. Pops was given an arc, actually, but it wasn't as successful. Like, it felt like it was a good idea, not very well executed, but acted very well. Um, this one felt like what Pops should have been. Like, it really worked for me here big time. Yeah, did I was actually thinking about it today, um, uh, before we were recording this podcast. You know, notwithstanding that this movie is clearly a much better movie than Genesis was. Yeah. Uh, whether I preferred the Pops character or the, or the Carl character. And I'm still kind of a little bit torn. I really like what they did with the Carl character here. Yeah. But I also liked the, the Pops character. And it, there was a little bit of a reflection of the T-800 on, you know, getting older but not yet obsolete. Yeah, yeah. Pops was given really lame moments, though. He had a lot of exposition to do. Yes, and like some cheesy smile stuff and whatever. Yeah, which you didn't really have here. So, um, but but what we talked about on that episode a little bit was like how the problem with that sequel with Genesis was not Schwarzenegger and was not Schwarzenegger's character. Mm-hmm. It was everything that was going on around him. Sure. Yeah. But in terms of what's going on in in Dark Fate, uh. I mean, who would have thought that a Terminator could have a have a family? And it could come off so lame. It could be the stupidest thing ever. But I think yeah. they, they did a good job with it. They sold it really well. And it was the sort of decision that could have come off really stupid. But I thought they totally, you know, wrote it really fantastically. And Arnold played it really well. And it just felt like... The movie invested itself in this journey for the T-800. It never made it feel goofy. It said, you know what, we're going to you know, tackle this with some emotional honesty. And it really worked. You know what, like, color me really happy with this. Like, I was a little concerned when they announced Schwarzenegger's coming back for Terminator 6. Because at this point, you're like, what is there left to do with the aging Terminator story? And I actually think they totally warranted the return. Yeah, and I like how they explained away some of the the questions that you have where Linda Hamilton is like, you know, doesn't she notice that uh, that you weigh like 600 pounds? Yeah, and, uh, 400. And 400 and never sleep? I could have sworn that in previous movies the Terminator weighed more than 400 pounds. I think it did too. But that's neither here nor there. Right. Uh, and that you never sleep, and he just says, our relationship is not a physical one. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, and it's a very sweet story about how, you know, without uh, without his commands from Skynet, he was able to, uh, you know, basically break free of his programming and explore more what it's like to be human. And also, like, the idea of, you know, he is an infiltrator Terminator taking that to its logical conclusion of someone, you know, like a cyborg who infiltrated humanity and became like a member of the human race. Yeah, and there's a nice little throwback there too uh, when he does join up with the uh, Grace and Sarah Connor and Danny and they're going off to to fight the Rev-9 and he he sends his family away. Mm -hmm. And this is where he says, you know, I won't be back. But, uh, and I think it's... 
I think it's Grace. It might be Danny. I can't remember who asks him. Well, you know, do you do you love them? Yeah, and that he was, said, it was Grace. Yeah, and and he says that well, I do, but but not like a human can. Yeah, and I, I thought that used to be a strength, and yeah, now I'm not so sure. And it kind of threw back a little bit to, uh, you know, now I know why humans cry. Totally. Yeah, yeah. It actually also reminded me a lot of Data in Star Trek: The Next Generation. Like, there's something very compelling about that story. Of, you know, the mechanical man that wants to understand humanity, but just has that little, you know, gap separating it. Mm -hmm. And I thought it worked really well here. Like, I have really no complaints with this movie in terms of character writing. I actually think it did a really fantastic job assembling its players. And there's not a lot of them, I think, and that's to the benefit because we actually get to spend a lot of time with them. Mm -hmm. And I felt like all of them did really, you know, pop on screen. The one who I had a few reservations on is actually Danny. I feel like that's the type of character that her job in this movie is a little thankless and that you're just the character who's confused a lot of the time. Help me. Yeah, yeah, like, I don't know what to do. Oh, my God, you know, although, that sort of thing. Although she does have a decent arc in the movie. And she, she does. She turns it around and takes the fight to them. But don't you feel like that character is more interesting in a hypothetical sequel where she's preparing for war. Maybe. Maybe with Genesis, though, they decided, let's not let's not build a sequel that's never going to happen in sure, this one. Sure, sure. But I thought she was fine, but, like, I have to ask you. We cut to the future where it is revealed that she is the savior who saved Grace. And uh, I am curious, did you buy her as a hardened soldier at that point in time? Sure. I mean, I did not buy her as that. I, I didn't buy it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it didn't really work for me. <laughs> I didn't have a problem with it. At okay, all. fair enough. But I, I thought she—it was funny. She actually, to me, sold more of the hardened um, warrior type stuff later in the third act than she did in that, uh, you know, flash forward. Scene. Oh, I see what you're—you're you're talking about specifically the flash forward. Yeah. Yeah. No, I know. I do know what you're saying. I didn't have a big problem with it, but um, but before we leave the the Schwarzenegger character, I, I think you mentioned yeah. it earlier how this character's been working to provide coordinates uh yes and apparently purpose to grace and uh and sarah connor grace has the coordinates of schwarzenegger's family home tattooed, tattooed on her which which strikes me as uh kind of a poor tactical decision but <laughs> but never mind that uh, and and yeah. then Sarah Con and Sarah Connor has be been receiving mysterious texts for the last twenty five years that yeah. the Terminator is coming here, go kill it for John. Yes, uh, and I guess giving her purpose. Sure, and he does say like that was his penance, you know, as he had a child of his own uh, adopted, obviously, but um, you know he began to understand the connection between a parent and a child, and so for penance. He did this for Sarah, and I like that. You know, it gave, again, the T-800, this character we've spent how many decades with at this point, again, a new angle. And I like that this movie found new angles on old favorites. Yeah, they, they kind of explain how he knows this with a little bit of uh, expository techno babble. Sure. But it wasn't nearly as egregious as we'd seen in Genesis, for example, and I was willing to forgive it. Yeah. The one thing that... I wonder if it has as much impact as it should is that Sarah Connor is obviously, you know, outraged at this Terminator for what it's done to her life. But it's also a little bit of a repeat of her journey in Terminator 2 
where it takes her a long time to trust the T-800. Mm-hmm. And, I, and this time, they have to do it in minimal screen time because Arnold doesn't show up for quite a while. Like, probably not till the second hour of the movie, I think, right? Yeah, probably about the halfway point. Yeah. And so you have kind of do that same story on Fast Forward. It works, but I don't think it has the, you know, the resonance that you get in Terminator 2. Yeah, did they ever establish who uh, tattooed... Uh, the coordinates on Grace. I guess it must no. have been Danny Ramos at some point. In I the would future. guess so. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. They didn't underline it. <laughs> You're kind of left to just kind of put the pieces together. I felt like it's funny because I've heard some other people say this movie's really convoluted and confusing. But like to me, when I was watching it, at least I was like, I think it was smart of them to simplify it after Genesis, which really did jump yeah, all over the to- place. Totally. Like there may be some time travel shenanigans that uh, some people get hung up on. But to me, with the Terminator franchise, I just go, okay, cool. I'm with it. You know, as long as the character stuff matters. And, you know, the thing about Genesis was the characters weren't there really. And we spent a lot of time talking about various timelines. (laughs) Yeah, now what did you think about Schwarzenegger as a drape hanger? Loved it. Like, I loved (laughs) that we get this scene of him talking about the different types of drapes you would put in a child's room. Like, again, that could be really silly, but I like that they embraced it. Tim Miller, you know, he directed the original Deadpool, and he knows comedy, like he knows how to stage it well, and I thought he got some funny moments out of Schwarzenegger. Not as much maybe comedy as you might expect, especially people that have seen, like, Terminator 3, which has a few more funny moments. But this one does have a few, and well, I thought they landed. Well, he he does describe himself as, as having an excellent sense of humor. Which was funny. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And just some of the like the banter between um between Mackenzie Davis and Linda Hamilton. It's not like roar out loud laughs, but Tim Miller has a good way of directing like that kind of punchy dialogue. Yeah, which was one of the complaints I think we had about Terminator Salvation was that uh, for all of Mick G's kind of jammy directing and the kinetic pace that he set the movie at, it really lacked in uh, characterization and it was t- took itself too seriously. Yeah, totally. Speaking of seriously, Tony, let's get to the Rev-9. We've dealt with a lot of different evil Terminators at this point. What do you think of the Rev-9? Did it work for you? It did. I, I, think, that, um, I think that Gabriel Luna did a great job uh as the rev 9 it kind of harkened back a little bit to uh robert patrick and terminator 2 yeah as this sort of charming but only eerily on the surface kind of charming uh killing machine Mm -hmm. uh but i mean i do i did have some questions we talked a little bit about them earlier which is why is legion just creating exactly the same thing that skynet would have created in in the alternate timeline why get why get rid of skynet yeah uh but I would have actually liked to have seen a little bit more of an explanation or a weakness in in the Rev-9 itself. So the Rev-9's conceit is that it separates into uh, a, basically a T-800 skeleton, for lack of a better word, and then this T-1000. So you're basically fighting a T-800 and a T-1000 with the same brain. Sure. But there, it wasn't really clear to me why this thing would stay together as one and not just be two parts the whole time. Right. Or for that matter, whether there was any weakness uh, once it separated. I would have liked a little bit more about that. Where, uh, I mean, obviously, when it separates, it's got two robots that can attack as opposed to one. But 
I think they should have established that, you know, you might have double the offense, but when they do, that's when the defensive weakness comes in. Right. Yeah, like, Rev 9, I think, for me, is... It suffers. It suffers because the first two Terminators, both the, you know, the Arnold Schwarzenegger T-800 and the Robert Patrick T-1000, were so terrifying that you can tell the franchise has struggled to try to come up with another scary Terminator. And, like, I like the gimmick of the, you know, the Terminator that can split in half. I think that's kind of fun. Mm -hmm. But it was never scary to me. And, like, I think Gabriel Luna's fine, but I just feel like... I wonder if it's even possible to create a new Terminator that comes across as scary or, like, presents something that you feel like you've never seen before. Because, like, when Robert Patrick in Terminator 2 was, like, stretching out his arms into blades and making crowbars with his arms and stuff like that, that felt mind-blowing. Whereas there's nothing that the Rev-9 does that I found that interesting. I would go like, oh, okay, it can split. That's kind of neat. But... It never felt like he was doing things beyond that that I would be like, holy smokes, like that's something I've never thought of or seen. You know, there's a lot of arm blades, which we've gotten pretty used to at this point. Um, there's a lot of throwing spikes and stuff like that, which again, seen it, you know, I think uh, the the uh, Byung-Hung Lee character did that quite a bit in Genesis. I wish they'd just gone like an extra step or something and um, come up with some other gimmicks for this thing. Uh, maybe nanobots no 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 more nanobots <laughs> no more nanobots maybe that's the case though like you know what the last one the jason clark one you're referencing went a little too far and they kind of made him human and like magic nanobots a lot which this is definitely a step back from but i never found this one scary which is i don't know in a movie like the terminator franchise where you want to have that terminator represent this unstoppable force this death that's just coming at you at all times this one didn't seem scary to me yeah which is too bad because this is obviously the first uh terminator since terminator 2 to get an r rating yeah although it's a pretty mild r it is a pretty mild r but i think back to you know what's the last terminator that we saw on the screen that did have a genuine sense of menace and i'm thinking you know there might have been some stuff in salvation like the big giant house-sized terminator loader that was loading people to the death camp or the slave camp yeah i mean i remember thinking oh that's that's kind of scary and creepy or the hydrobots underwater i mean the hydrobots were really creepy so but you know i know what you're saying not none of those have uh the same menace as like the first terminator certainly um and yeah. then, and then Robert Patrick is the T-1000. And I just wonder now when you cast an actor in this role, how much is just like, okay, I look back at what the original two did and just trying to do that. Whereas, like, I wish they would come up with something maybe a little different. Especially that this is Legion. This isn't Skynet. This could be an entirely different thing. Yeah, it, it totally could be. They could do anything. Pretty much any kind of killer robot. Yeah. And they, they decided to go with more of the same, which is basically, let's... We like the T-1000, we like the T-800, uh, let's just do both of those in the same thing. Yeah, I mean, I get it, but... I, I didn't I didn't dislike it at all. I, it, I wasn't like, oh, God, the way I was for some of the nanobot stuff sure. in Genesis. But uh, I, know, I know what you're saying. It could have been a little bit, a little bit more creative. 
Yeah, I mean, the Genesis one was definitely the nadir of killer robots in the Terminator franchise. <laughs> I think we can agree on that one. <laughs> yeah, I think we do. For once. But, you know, one of the main functions, if not the only function, of the evil Terminators is to bring action scenes into the movie. What do you think of the action in this movie? Was there... What were some of the ones you thought were great? Some of the standouts? I'm glad you asked. I mean, we've been talking about characters here for almost an hour. And it wouldn't be an Arnie Geddon episode uh, without talking a little bit about the action, right? Right. Uh, there was a few. I actually thought the action in this movie was pretty good. We've seen summer blockbusters where the action is frenetic, but not necessarily good. There were some weak points, but uh, I, I really liked the fight scene in the factory where he, where the Rev-9 is attacking the guards. I, for the same reason, I liked the fight scene at the immigration compound or right. whatever it is. And then that initial vehicle chase I really enjoyed as well. The, the, the one where the Rev-9 uh, is both driving the car and also throwing pieces of rebar. Yes. At... Uh, at Grace and Danny and her brother, um, who are in a pickup truck. Right. I thought that was pretty well done. Well, I like that they start off with an action scene that feels very recognizable to the franchise, which is sort of a fight in like an industrial kind of area. You know, yeah, there's like totally. there's like a robot even there, <laughs> and you get like Mackenzie Davis really facing down the Rev Nine, and it's a really convincing fight, and that spills into a chase. Which is the classic, you know, truck being chased by an enormous industrial vehicle. <laughs> and we've seen it in almost every single Terminator movie. Apparently this factory, for some reason, needs a gigantic bulldozer yes. inside of it. Yes, so that was great to see. And I thought a lot of the truck stuff was great. I thought, you know, you'd see cars flying all over. And they didn't have that kind of cartoonish look like they were just CG cars flying around. I feel like they may have actually blown up some cars for this chase. And it felt like it. Like, there was some impact to it. And, yeah, when you have Davis standing on the back of a truck throwing rebars at the Terminator, that stuff's great. Like, that really is the sort of thing you look for in a Terminator action sequence, like in the truck chase in Terminator 3 also. Again, not a maybe popular movie, but that chase is pretty great. Yeah, it's it's spectacular. Uh, and, of course, the truck sequence in... Uh... Or one of one of the truck sequences in Terminator Two. Take your pick. Sure. Yeah. Well, they're amazing in that movie. Yeah. Uh, but this one was solid. Like I did enjoy it. And it also has a little bit of heft. One of the things that always bugs me in uh, an action movie or a blockbuster is when you have uh, it's like the the pod race effect. Sure. Where you have an action scene that that goes on for a long period of time. There's a lot of stuff happening. Clearly, they're just throwing money at the screen. Yeah. And then there's not really any point. Like, it's just the character started here and then they, they ended there. And they're pretty much the same character or they're in the same position that they were when the action sequence started. Right. And here you have the impact of um, killing Danny's brother off and having Linda Hamilton show up to kind of save the day. Yeah. And plus exposing Grace's, um, like, metallic skin and all that sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. Like, you're seeing her get cut through that battle and you're getting that exposure of these, like, implants she's got. Yeah, so to get the... Basically get the exposition without the dialogue. Yeah, like, all that stuff is really great. Like, I loved that this felt like a sequence. And that's something I've complained about on this podcast before, is that a lot of action movies nowadays don't seem to understand sequences. 
Like, you want to build to something. You want to have, you know, as you said, like, the characters are different at the end than they were at the beginning. And the sequence is intensifying as it goes to build to, like, a big crescendo at the end. And that sequence, you know, starting with that scene in the in the warehouse and then leading into the chase, it builds to something. And so, like, I really appreciated that. Yeah, no, and I know that because uh, we, we talked about it a little bit before the podcast, or at least uh, last night after we saw the movie. Uh, so I know we're going to have different opinions on this. But what did you think about the action sequence on the plane? Right, okay. So, like, I just want to touch briefly on, you mentioned the one in the immigration as well. Yeah. Where, uh, yeah, because the characters have to get out of Mexico into the U.S., into Texas. They get put into an immigration um, compound, basically, in prison. And, uh, again, I like the change in setting. I like the desperation of it. I like seeing the Rev-9 break into that. All the people who have been locked up running out and causing chaos. I like the idea of, like, a really chaotic action sequence. So I thought that was effective. But I, I Actually, I also liked um, the Rev-9 there. Uh, they established him as, like, being able to make jokes with, yeah. with the staff there. Like, he's clearly, like, an infiltration robot, like yes. you said. Um, but sorry, go on. But yeah, so I enjoyed that stuff. But yeah, the plane sequence you're talking about, that's in the back half of the movie. And so we get, yeah, this big plane battle, which you've seen in the trailers a bit, where uh, the uh, Terminator, uh, the Rev-9, hops on a plane, like climbs out on the sides of it and jumps onto the, our hero's plane because they are carrying an EMP they want to use against it. And this sequence... Uh, I didn't enjoy it. Like, to me, this was actually had all the problems that the chase scene did not. And that this was not clearly shot. It was muddy. It had a lot of shaky cam. It was edited very quickly because you could tell that they, it was just not mapped out very well. This is where, like, Tim Miller, I felt like his weaknesses as an action director came into play. I don't know how much help he had on that freeway chase. But it felt like whatever help he had there didn't exist on this plane scene for me. Yeah, I didn't have the same problems with it. Uh, I do hear what you're saying. I thought that some of the CG of the planes colliding didn't look great. And I think it's it's the type of CG that's going to uh, not age well. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it didn't look horrible, but um, but I think it'll show its age as, as time goes on. I thought actually the, the free fall... Uh, zero gravity fighting stuff looked pretty cool. Mm -hmm. uh, I was able to follow where the characters were for the most part, and and I I actually really enjoyed it. I, I liked it. It had kind of a little bit of an Inception type action. Oh, Inception's action's incredible compared to this. <laughs> well, you Come know what on. I'm, you know what I'm talking about the the zero G kind of. I agree that Tim Miller watched it and thought that's cool. I'll try to do that. <laughs> uh, what I what I didn't like about it though was actually the lead up to it where. Uh, the the movie up to this point had a certain level of sanity and, yeah. and rationality and, and was kind of grounded in reality and believability to the extent a movie like this can be. And and we get this point where Linda Hamilton ha uh, mentions that she's wanted in 50 states yeah. and she just like calls up her army buddy who has two EMP grenades and a yeah. briefcase and then who who then helps them escape on a on a plane? And I was just like, I get it. You're trying to do this kind of Sarah Connor world building, right? But I was like, she's she's like a, apparently one of the most wanted fugitives in the land. Uh, I'm pretty sure that 
whatever relationships she has built up, she can't just call in EMP grenades whenever she wants them. I gotta be honest, after they leave Arnold's cabin, Mm -hmm. the movie for me does take a significant downgrading quality where, like, I was really on board for the first sections of the movie. The first, I guess, two-thirds. And to me, like, basically everything that happens once they leave the cabin, to me, became weaker and weaker. Like, I didn't think the action was as good as it was in the preceding hour plus. And the character stuff kind of fell by the wayside. And, I mean, it's kind of weird to me that once Arnold enters the action, the action scenes take a downgrade. Well, like I say, I I actually didn't think that... Yeah, you're more positive on the plane one. uh, On the plane one. The the issue I have is not the the fighting within the plane. It's more the the planes colliding and just the plot devices the fact that the emp grenades oh that was silly get, like i agree get, the fact that they get shot up and, yeah. are, and are unusable it's exactly the problem that i was talking about before where they have this macguffin that they need to get in order to basically set the stage for another action set piece and then that macguffin is no longer relevant at all for any part of the movie yeah and and that kind of thing to me is is a little bit disappointing. Unless this thing is uh, a primary or a key plot device, just introducing it and then taking it away, is, right. it's a little bit hackneyed. Yeah, and then at this point, Grace just kind of pipes up and goes, oh, by the way, I have, you know, like an EMP inside of me. <laughs> so why don't we use that? I'll sacrifice myself. And, you know, okay, Terminator 3, we had issues with the power cells that suddenly these T-800s had in them that could, like, cause, like, mini explosions. Very, like, very, like, mini nuclear explosions. Very convenient. Very convenient. This was convenient, too, except this one didn't have the setup that Terminator 3 used. Yeah, I know I know what you're saying. It's basically the Terminator equivalent of reaching into your trench coat and pulling out the skeleton key for the police station or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it... They don't establish it early on, and there was plenty of opportunity to do so. It's kind of weird that they didn't. Maybe they wanted it to be a surprise or something. Yeah, because you have that whole sequence at the immigration holding facility where they actually are doing, like, x-rays of the of the Grace character. Like, why not set it up there? Yeah, or they've got scenes in the future where um, they're actually implanting these uh, augmentations in her. Why not set it up there? I have no idea. Yeah, so just to, to kind of bring it out um, two-thirds or three-quarters of the way through the movie, because this EMP that was pretty needless to begin with, it has been shot up. Yeah. It, it, it was a little bit hacked. Yeah, like, to me, the movie feels a lot less confident near the end than it did in the first two-thirds, because, you know, I like that the Danny character, you get this, you know, this dueling um, arguments between Grace and Sarah Connor over how to use her um, up against the Rev-9. Because Sarah Connor wants to use her to create a kill box, basically. To use her as bait to draw the the Rev-9 and then take it out. Whereas Grace is more compelled to run. And, hey, we got to just keep on moving. And I like that Danny takes ownership of that and says, no, this is what we're going to do. We're going to lure it. And take it on that way. But then, like, the way they do that is kind of clumsy because they're in the plane. The plane crashes into water. It's, like, complete chaos. And then they just wind up at, like, a dam. Well, they didn't just wind up there. They parachuted a They parachuted, but none of this was planned. It's all very fly-by-the-seat-of-your-pants. 
Whereas they really seem like they want to set up a plan. I think what they wanted to set up was a series of expensive action scenes. I agree. <laughs> yeah, so we've got a parachuting Humvee. We've got uh, the plane crashing uh, onto the surface of this hydroelectric plant. Uh, I thought that looked actually kind of cool, the, the burning jet fuel on top of the water. Sure. Um, There's some really bad stuff, though, underwater. Yeah, we've, we've actually got a, a pretty decent scene of the Humvee hanging by... Uh, a rope on the edge of the dam you're wondering oh how are they going to get out of this and uh it was a little bit of a surprise to me they decided to do it by uh cutting the ropes in what would almost be certain death yeah uh and then we get into what you've alluded to the i thought the underwater fight stuff was probably the weakest action in the movie it was pretty bad like it was it looked like cg people in CG water with a lot of murkiness to hide the fact that it was CG. Yeah, I didn't mind as much the stuff of the Rev-9 uh, trying to get into the vehicle with uh, with Danny and Sarah Connor. Uh, that didn't bother me yeah. as much. I guess Grace was there too. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but yeah, once you have uh, the T-800 and the Rev-9 fighting underwater, yeah. it, it didn't look great. Yeah, and then all the players involved wind up having this big battle in a turbine station. This was another case where I'm like, boy, when you consider the finales of T2, Terminator, uh, even Terminator 3, like this one really was a step down and it didn't feel like it was mapped out in a way to build tension in any way. It was just a group of people smacking a Rev-9 with pipes until it died. <laughs> Again, I, I don't have the same problem. I actually really like this sequence they uh this wasn't a sequence though this was just like cut 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 done <laughs> i thought it looked great i thought you have grace who uh picks up apparently uh every turbine station needs uh lengths of rusty chain with i will give you points the chain but, the chain was awesome you know, watching the um the liquid metal component of the rev 9 get its arms and legs cut off and then uh drop down and liquefied i thought that looked really awesome I am with you on the chain, but like, and, and then, but then having the the T eight hundred, like everybody kind of picks up their weapon of choice. Yeah, like Linda Hamilton with her shotgun, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger with like basically a big club. Yeah, and then uh, Mackenzie Davis with the the uh, chain. I can't remember what uh, Natalia Reyes had. I think she had a pistol or something. Like that. Right, and yeah, you've described it accurately. It's just the you know a bunch of people just whacking this thing until it dies. Yeah, uh, but I thought it looked great. Like where they throw the thing into the turbine in order to smash it to pieces. I thought it looked pretty cool. I like the throwing the turbine, but again, it looks fake. Like it looks super fake, which is something that can't be lobbed at uh, you know some of the better moments in the other preceding films. And I don't know. Like I have a certain issue with like. This Rev-9 is so deadly, but it spends just a lot of time throwing people. And it's like, why is it doing this? It just shows, like, Sarah Connor getting thrown all over the place. And you're like, you know, the other Terminators, I don't think the T-1000 would have been throwing them. Isn't that what Terminators do? They they quickly kill inconsequential characters and yeah. then throw or backhand slap downstairs. I feel or like push. that's a late, like, late franchise <laughs> thing, though. I don't feel like the earlier movies would have done that. I seem to remember Kyle Reese getting knocked down, knocked down the stairs or thrown by the endoskeleton in the first Terminator. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, we've got, we've got a long, yeah. a long history of protagonists 
uh, getting off a little easier than minor characters in the Terminator there, there franchise. Was, there was more physical, actual gravity, though, in those sequences than here, where it's just people getting, like, whipped into the air. <laughs> yeah, like, to me, this whole final fight just really didn't work for me. Like, I, I like the, you know, the chain was cool, as I said. The turbine death is kind of cool. You know, I like that after Danny has stabbed this Rev-9 with the... Uh, the uh you know emp that's been pulled out of grace it's arnold's character that grabs it and takes it down a shaft and is just holding it down and let you know melting it down there's moments like this that are great but i don't think they're directed well like to me it didn't look good tell sarah connor that this is for john sure but like to me like all these things are good ideas they aren't directed well and like there's no impact to the images which is something that the other terminator movies at least the really good ones always did really well well, compare this to, say, the uh, final fight at the Genesis compound. In, in oh, it's Ter- way better. It's better than that. Yeah, for sure. That's not even close. Yeah, so I, I th- I'm, I'm wary about being needlessly hard on this. I think that you're falling a little bit into the trap of the Terminator 2 albatross around the neck of this thing. Well, I would like to think that a movie made in 2019 can aspire to be at least as good as a movie made 30 years ago in terms of its action direction. Maybe that's foolish of me, but I don't know. We, we've talked about this before. You hold this up to, like, Terminator 2. Yes. Like, that's totally unfair. Terminator 2 is, like, the or best... Or Terminator 1. I'll hold it up against Terminator 1, which was a low-budget movie shot on a shoestring. <laughs> that sequence of the, you know, legless T-800 crawling through the compactor at Sarah Connor is far more interesting than anything in this finale. I'll have to give that one some thought, but you're, you're <laughs> probably right. But it is, you know what, it is about on par with Terminator 3, with the TX, you know, stuff like that. It's just like, to me, again, this is not like an infusion of energy going like, guys, let's restore this thing to the lofty position it occupied in action cinema. It's just like, let's just make a good Terminator movie. And they made a you know pretty good one. I thought the hand-to-hand combat in this movie was better than the than what we've seen in the Terminator franchise in a long time. Um, I don't know. Like Terminator Three, I really like the hand-to-hand stuff. Terminator Three had some good stuff. Terminator Three also had some good stuff on the large vehicle chases that yeah. that you've already mentioned. Um, I think I like the action in T Three probably overall more. I think. It's close. Yeah, I've been I've been actually thinking about this since I since I watched this movie last night is whether I actually prefer this one or Terminator Three, and I know that's probably controversial given how much people hate Terminator Three. Sure, but uh, I think they're kind of on par. Well, this is you know the final Terminator movie we've done out of the six, so I think maybe at the end we'll rank the Terminator movies to kind of tie off this Terminator series we've been doing. Mm-hmm. But before we get there, what else, is there anything else you want to cover? Yeah, there is. I, I guess it's kind of related to the action scenes, but not not entirely. It's, it's the, the scenes are specifically set in the future, in the future war. Okay. Now, we've seen this uh, in... Every Terminator yeah, movie? Every Terminator movie. I, I think it's... it's um, a pretty important part of the franchise, actually. Yeah. Uh, it. W- I mean, it's so important that we got a whole movie of it in Terminator Salvation. Sure. I think in this movie, the future war stuff looks worse than we've seen in any other Terminator movie. In terms of effects? Yeah, in terms of effects, but also in terms of the, the heft and the emotional impact yeah. uh, that are in the movie. And I think that 
I mean, say what you will of it as a movie, but I thought the the future scenes in Terminator Genesis looked super cool. They looked great. Uh, I thought that Terminator Salvation, for everything that lacked in plot and characterization, uh, a lot of the uh, concepts and the new Terminators were, were really cool. Yeah. We saw some good stuff in Terminator 3, mm-hmm. and then, of course, the, the Terminator 2 and Terminator stuff stuff is uh, it's pretty iconic. Yeah, yeah. And here, the, the way you described it as basically looking like the edge of tomorrow, Yeah, uh, I think is pretty accurate, and I just didn't really care. I wanted, I wanted to go back to the present time as opposed to uh, most of the time when they show the future stuff on TV. I just want more of it. Yes, the future war against Legion was not visually interesting. I don't feel like they ever found their visual stamp for it. Whereas, like, the Skynet war, you could always count on that hunter-killer shot in the air and a really cool shot of an endoskeleton. You do get that at the start of this movie. And one of my favorite, you know, shots of the movie, which is kind of a riff-off of D-Day, where you see, you know, the beachfront and the Terminators walking out of the water. Yeah, that was a cool shot. That was a cool shot, but it's very, very brief. Yeah. But I felt like the Legion Future War stuff, they never found their iconic visual stamp for that stuff. Yeah, it, it looked like CG uh, octopus attacking yeah. humans. And, yeah. And it didn't look anywhere near as good as stuff that was put to film, you know, 30 years ago. Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree totally with that. I mean, that stuff's mostly there to supply backstory for the Grace character, so it's pretty valuable in that regard. But in terms of making it... The type of image that really lingers in the mind the way the Future War stuff did in the other Terminator movies, it's not even close. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't think people are going to be haunted by those images. <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> so what did you think of the wrap-up of this movie, you know, with Grace dying? I wasn't crazy about that. Like, I guess it's necessary to give sort of some impact and some emotion to the end of the movie. But I was thinking, like, this character was really working if you are going to do a sequel. I feel like that character would have been rather valuable. Although, did she die? I mean, she was still alive at the end of the movie as uh, they went to visit her in another playground. True. I mean, this is pretty much the exact same scene that they had in Genesis. Yeah. uh, With Jai Courtney going and (laughs) visiting... His younger self, yeah. The younger younger Kyle Reese there. It also reminded me of Sarah Connor in Terminator 2 going and looking at the kids at the playground and holding onto the chain link fence. Yeah, so we've seen it before. Uh, I agree with you. I think that killing Grace was a bit of a mistake. But I guess if what they're trying to do is break new ground and also remake the Terminator, sure, you've got to, got to kill your human savior. I guess the thing with the death of Grace is maybe I wouldn't feel as mixed on it if there'd been some emotion in that character's exit, whereas I never really felt it. Yeah, they just gave her this plot device in her chest. Yeah. And then uh, sayonara. Yeah, like it's nothing, nothing compared to Schwarzenegger you know, dropping into the lab at the end of Terminator 2. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. It's I don't even know if it's... Do you think it's better than Arnold underneath the uh, crushing door in Terminator 3? No, I don't think so. I th- no? I, 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 I don't. Uh, I mean, they did try and add some emotional heft there, and hats off to Mackenzie Davis for, yeah. um, you know, delivering some very melodramatic lines. Mm-hmm. But... Uh, no, I mean, even if you think about how Kyle Reese is dispatched in the first one, kind of unceremoniously, Yeah. I mean, that had a real emotional impact as well. Big time, yeah. But here, yeah, I'm with you. It would have been nice if they're going to get rid of this character to make it worth it. Yeah, like I felt like 
they found more emotion with Schwarzenegger's character, which is fine. He's an iconic character and a beloved actor, but he's also entered the movie an hour in <laughs> versus like Grace, who's been like one of the driving forces of the movie from, you know, the first five minutes onwards. Yeah, and who is not a robot and has yeah. a real inner life and emotions and all this <laughs> other stuff. Yeah, and I like really cared about that character for a big chunk of the movie. So, you know, and, uh, you know, I will say, though, I appreciate that they ended the movie in a very, uh, it's open-ended, but it could also be closed. It doesn't really matter. Yeah. The... It's kind of like the original Terminator. You know, it's just um, Sarah Connor driving off with uh, with Danny to prepare for the future. Thank God, I was terrified they were going to end this thing with, like, a Matt Smith <laughs> cameo like uh, Genesis. <laughs> yeah or just i thought they were gonna you know for all the new ground they're breaking that they were just gonna end it with a linda hamilton voiceover right and uh the yellow lines of the highway disappearing under the camera yes yes so you know what good good on them for that for resisting the temptation and there's no post credit scene um a couple other things i just wanted to mention like uh I wasn't crazy about the score for this movie. Scores are super important to Terminator movies. Mm-hmm. This one's done by Tom uh, Holkenborg, who is uh, Junkie XL, who did the score for Mad Max Fury Road. And that is one of my favorite scores of probably the decade. I absolutely love that score. Yeah, it's fantastic. And, I mean, you know, Brad Fidel's Terminator score is ultra-iconic. You throw that into a soundtrack, you're going to get some chills going. But I didn't feel like the score had any of the momentum that like the Mad Max score had or anything. I think what they were trying to do here was take Brad Fidel's original score and kind of, for lack of a better word, Latin it up. No, yeah, for sure. I think that was the intention he said in his, <laughs> you know, in an interview on the movie. So, <laughs> I mean, it's a good idea. Yeah. But I, I feel like the reason why Brad Fidel's score was uh, so powerful was because it was this you know, minimalist synth score, mm-hmm. kind of underscoring the, you know, how scary these robots were. Right. You know, I think once you, once you start adding lighter instrumentation to that, you know, rather than adding to it or giving it a Latin feel, yeah. it just kind of takes away from the menace of it. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's tough. I, I sympathize. The Brad Fidel score is so iconic that that's really what the audience wants to hear. And I almost wonder if it's smarter for future, you know, generations of filmmakers, whoever decides to reboot Terminator down the road, to drop it altogether and just come up with their own thing, or and, just or just use it in on the opening credits. Yeah, maybe. And then never use it again. Yeah, maybe because I do sympathize with any composer who has to do one of these <laughs> movies because I do think it's a bit of a thankless job. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um. I also just wanted to mention a couple of funny parts that made me... One made me laugh, and one I kind of was like, that's kind of lame. One, <laughs> um, I loved seeing the Arnold Terminator in cargo shorts. Yeah, no, that was pretty hilarious. And, you know, he's not doing the glasses. Again, not doing the fan service obvious thing. I appreciate that. He's not finding another leather jacket in the movie. I liked that. I thought that was great. Um, on the lame side, there's a part where Mackenzie Davis displays her unique powers by cutting a fly in half with a knife. I thought that was so cheesy. I feel like I've seen that in so many cornball movies. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm with you on both those counts. I also really like the part where they've decided to all team up and they're leaving Carl's cabin and uh, Carl picks up a pair of sunglasses. Yeah. 
and then just puts them back down. Yeah. I thought that was a, a nice touch. Uh, and it was right around the same time as I won't be back. Yeah, yeah. Which I was a, was a good line. Yeah, like, I do, as I said, like, I really appreciated that they didn't go down the pandering fan service route again. Because it didn't mm-hmm. work before. It wasn't working. <laughs> so, you know, I like that they, at least in ways, tried to shift this one. It's just odd that they really did just kind of remake the original movie. It's still weird to me. Like, it's... Guys, let's. We really need to shake this franchise up. Let's remake the first one again. <laughs> oh, I think that's kind of how they're doing movies these days. A lot of them yeah. look at something like The Force Awakens. Or For so. sure. I mean, once The Force Awakens made almost a billion dollars domestic. That became a trend. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. It's something that's going to wear out its welcome, I think, rather quickly. <laughs> but at least in the good cases, it's uh, memorable. Yeah, and I think I've mentioned it before. I didn't really mind it here. I, th- I think that they did a pretty good job balancing it out. It's not egregious. Mm-hmm. You don't walk out being annoyed by it. You just kind of make more the uh, intellectual note of it. <laughs> yeah. But the characters work enough that they carry you along with the movie. Yeah, Terminator 6, asterisk. <laughs> so final thoughts on terminator dark fate well if you haven't seen it and you've been uh listening with us uh really sorry for spoiling the whole thing but, <laughs> but do go out and see it. it's definitely uh up there with maybe one of the best post politics arnold movies that we've seen him do uh and it's a return to form to the terminator franchise and it's definitely not hitting the same heights that T1 or T2 did, but it is uh, as good as some of the better sequels or maybe even better. Yeah, like, I like this one better than the last couple Terminator movies. I think it's a solid action movie. I can't imagine many people turning it off and being like, that was terrible. I just don't know that it's the Terminator movie we all kind of wanted when we heard James Cameron was coming back to make a direct sequel to Terminator 2. It, to me, does not feel like it belongs with those earlier two movies, but it's an enjoyable movie. It's just kind of... I I have a lot of questions about how much gas is left in the tank for the Terminator franchise. I think this one stretches it, Uh, but you know what? It has enough good moments to recommend it, and the performances are pretty much across the board really fun. So I, Mm -hmm. I can't, you know, take many knocks against it in that regard. I think Tim Miller also keeps it moving. This thing is paced really well. So even if there's action stuff that I didn't think worked very well, the movie is paced quickly. It's over two hours, but it felt like it moved fast. Yeah, you're never bored. Yeah. So there you have it. You know, Terminator Dark Fate, definitely worth watching, I think. Yeah, and it was good to see uh, a return to form for Arnold as well in a honest-to-goodness, marquee, big-budget, let's-try-and-make-tons-of-money picture. Yeah, I enjoyed seeing him a lot in this movie. I was worried that he was going to be trotting out just kind of the old T-800 thing again, but I liked that it felt like he was challenging himself a bit and doing something different. Mm -hmm. It was really fun to see. So we've reached the end of the Terminator franchise, so it seems, and uh, Tony, we've now covered six of these movies for the podcast, so I think we should give our Terminator rankings. Yeah, that's not a bad idea, Cam. Let's give it a shot. Okay, so let's start at number six, the bottom of the pile. I guess the worst Terminator movie. And that is for you? Genesis. Yeah, for me it's Genesis as well. Yeah, what I'll say though, and we mentioned this on our Genesis episode, is this movie got a lot of one-star ratings and zero-star ratings. Uh, I don't think it deserved that at all. It's actually got a lot of fun parts in it, and it just gets bogged down by some problems with the script and uh, some problems with the direction. 
There was a script. (laughs) (laughs) So as much as Genesis is at the bottom of the list, uh, I actually don't think it's a totally horrible movie. Uh, And the ones that are above it on the list are, (laughs) to whatever extent, slightly less horrible than that one. Right. Okay. What is your number five? Uh, I got Salvation. As do I. Salvation at number five. I think this movie just is always going to anger people because the trailers were so great and they always felt betrayed by it. But I think there's good stuff in it. Yeah, so do I. I I think that uh, Salvation is kind of unfairly treated. Uh, It had a lot of cool stuff and it actually tried to build on the Terminator mythology a little bit. And it just fell flat in a few places. I actually think that was the right road for the franchise to take, was to be examining different elements of this world. Yeah, so do I. I don't know that uh, continuing down the path of trying to recreate T2 has been the right road. I actually think they were on to something good with Salvation. It's just that the execution kind of cut that that road real short. And again, the execution wasn't that bad. It just could have been a little bit better. You think if this movie had just had a little bit more kick to it, uh, we might have seen a a Salvation too. For sure. Okay, what is your number four? I don't know if this is acceptable or not, but I'm actually not able to decide really between... That's unacceptable. (laughs) Between T3 and Dark Fate. Okay. Uh, Having seen Dark Fate yesterday, and I mean, obviously you've seen T3 within the last year i think in a lot of ways the movies are uh kind of kind of similar in that they're trying to recreate the magic from the first two and in a lot of places they succeed there's some really great stuff in in terminator 3 yeah uh and there's a few places that aren't so great yeah like the character writing is better in uh in dark fate but the um you know like the action is probably a little better in terminator 3 yeah some of those large vehicle sequences uh were better i thought that the terminatrix was not as good a villain at all as uh the rev 9 mm-hmm. but it it's a little bit of a toss up for me if you're going to push me on it i'd say i'd probably put dark fate a little bit higher than t3 but that could change tomorrow this is just me shooting from the hip yeah like i feel like thinking about it in this moment i would put dark fate at number four but only slightly and to me that has a lot to do with the back uh you know third act of this of dark fate which i really do think kind of falls apart in a lot of ways um and loses a lot of the goodwill that i had built up but at the same point the character stuff's really strong so i could totally see myself flipping terminator 3 and dark fate in the future right it it is yeah, tough I, I feel the same way so that's why i'm kind of like uh it's like which do you choose action or character stuff yeah so i'm like three and four t3 and dark fate uh i think that given uh <laughs> given the well well established recency bias of audiences everywhere i think we're going to probably be in the minority of even considering yeah t3 is better than dark fate but i'm gonna say i'll say it right in this moment i would put dark fate at four in T3 at number three, but that could change in future viewings. I'd probably do the opposite, but it could also change in future viewings. Right. Number two, then? Uh, number two, uh, a harder decision than I actually thought it, thought it might be, uh, but it's The Terminator. Same for me, The Terminator. Uh, I mean, it's, it's a fantastic movie. It's one of the best sci-fi horror suspense movies ever made. You think about how this was made on the budget 
it propelled Schwarzenegger pretty much to superstardom. And it's it's a menacing, frenetic, awesome film. But I think that uh, if there are places where it suffers, it's due to its uh, budgetary limitations. I agree with that. Yeah, I mean, great movie. Listen to that episode. We just really fawn over it a lot. <laughs> yeah. And you know what? We also fawn over my number one, and I guess your number one, Terminator 2. Yeah. One of the all-time great action movies of all time. I don't know that you really even have to say that much more. Oh, he's at all-time twice. It deserves it twice. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's it's spectacular. It's one of the best sequels of all time, one of the best action movies of all time, one yeah. of the best sci-fi movies of all time, yeah. one of Arnold's best movies of all time. Yeah. Uh, it pretty much just checks all the boxes. Yeah, totally. So, I think that wraps up the Terminator franchise and Dark Fate. We will see where the future leads if there is another Terminator movie lurking in the future for us to review. Yeah, I keep my fingers crossed because it was really nice seeing Arnold up on the big screen again. Yeah, and I don't know that it's looking like we're going to see another one anytime soon. Well, we'll but see. We'll see. The Terminator franchise is as unkillable as the Terminator himself. So, Tony, what are we doing next time? Well, we're going to go from... Dark Fate, and we're going to bounce back in time a little bit to 1990's Total Recall. Uh, I'm really looking forward to this one. This is clearly uh, another marquee Schwarzenegger piece. Uh, also one of the best sci-fi movies of all time and one of the best Schwarzenegger movies of all time. Mm-hmm. And some of the movies that we've reviewed recently, as much as I like watching them, uh, you compare, say, Escape Plan to Total Recall. I like Escape Plan. But I love Total Recall. Right. I'm very much looking forward to Total Recall. This is going to be fun. You can, of course, reach us via email at arniegenpod at gmail.com. Let us know your thoughts of Dark Fate. This is the first Terminator movie we've had the opportunity for, you know, all of our listeners and us to kind of share the conversation at the same time over. Yeah. So it's very exciting. And, uh, yeah, let us know. You can also tweet us at arniegenpod. Uh, Tony, how do they get hold of you? You can find me, Tony G, that's Tony like the name, G like the letter, at arniegeddon.com. Feel free to also download us direct from the source, www.arniegeddon.com. You can find me on Twitter at Cam V is in Vista, comma, hasta la, Smith. Okay, so we'll be back with Total Recall. <laughs>